0: you mm-hmm. Everybody, my name is Jesse, and you are listening to List It, my podcast where me and a guest talk and rank things in pop culture, and I'm really excited about my guest today. You may know him as a producer and storyteller behind the podcast Time Well Spent, leaving the theater. He's also a frequent contributor to NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, Uh, also WAMU's 1A. He just recently took over as the host of the podcast Solvable, which is from one of the finest podcast networks in the game pushkin on each episode the team showcases how the world's most innovative thinkers are proposing solutions to the world's most daunting problems if there's any conversation we need to have in 2021 it is with ronald young jr the host of solvable <laughs> you can follow him on twitter at oh it's big ron Ronald, welcome to list it man <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for having me. You know, when you were doing that introduction, it it reminds me of, uh, like, I've been a church guy all of my life, and it reminds me of watching the guest preacher listen to someone read their bio, and at some point you'll see a look on their face like, wait. Is that me? Are they, t- are they talking about me? You made
0: me sound so much, so much better than I think I am. So I really appreciate. You. No, dude, doing a great job so far. Uh, well, dude, I, I'm a big <laughs> fan of your work, and you know, I I like reading. I, you know, you you've been in podcasting a long time too, so I mm-hmm. I feel like we can we can kind of nerd out on some inside baseball stuff because when I first started yeah. the show, it was like you know I I read the bios afterward. I would kind of you know. Uh, chit chat and then we kind of jump in but i found that when i read people's back of their bio it really does kind of mm-hmm. have this like mind shift of like you know what i am that guy like let's do yeah. this thing let's rank <laughs> some stuff let's list some stuff. so i started doing it live for the guests on there and i come yeah. from a church background too and so like, yeah, like <laughs> so you see you see that they, they go through like the facial expressions of oh that's me oh okay okay yeah. no pressure oh, here right. yeah oh, i forgot about that <laughs> Well, dude, I'm I'm really excited to have you on. And we're going to be talking about today three innovations that give you hope for the future. And and Ronald, you recently uh, took over as host for one. And we were talking just briefly before we got rolling, um, you know, a podcast that is one of my favorite kind of shows where you have Mm -hmm. interviews. It's really entertaining, uh, Mm -hmm. really interesting characters, big ideas, but also ideas that like expose you to things that you might not have thought about otherwise. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like homework. It feels like entertainment. Tell me a little bit about the idea of Solvable, how you got involved and where, what direction you want to take the show.
1: So, Solvable was a show that I kind of came in like it was already chugging along yeah. when I when I got there. I've only been there uh I'm not sure when this will air, but I will have been there for about 4 to 5 episodes yeah. now. And it's basically meant to be more optimistic and solutions-based journalism. And the idea was that we do a lot of talking about the problems all the time, but we don't really focus as much on the solution. And Solvable is different and it means to stand out because we are talking about how to solve the actual problems that we are discussing on the show. So it's not just a matter of saying, hey, this is a problem. It's saying like, hey, here's a problem, and here's how we're thinking about solving it. And what I like about it is, I'm an optimistic person generally. And I'm always kind of looking ahead and seeing when things are going to turn around, when things are going to improve. And I think this show like kind of does that for you. It says, Hey, we're working on this thing. Here's how you can get involved. And here's all the, you know, all the pitfalls that we could fall across, but we're working on it. And I think that makes people feel good. So they reached out and they had seen some of the, you know, work I had done before and they were looking for a host and it was just a good match. I think this is probably one of the better decisions, uh, uh, that, that I've made in the past 14 months, uh, uh, especially at a time when, you know, there wasn't a lot of good decisions to be made. So this feels good. And this feels like the perfect show to help bring you out of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, well, and, and that's why I really, you know, I'm glad we're talking about things that innovations that give us hope because we're we're coming out of a year where I feel like, you know, and I, and I heard, I listened to the kind of intro episode right before we recorded, you know, obviously mm-hmm. I listened to the, the other ones, but, you know, where you talked about the idea of doom scrolling. And how mm-hmm. we had all spent the last year, basically, you know, on Twitter or Reddit or or whatever your kind of preferred fire hose of internet uh, uh, takes and and <laughs> stories is, and dude. I would, I would, my kind of habit before bed, I like to just kind of read on my phone, just, you know, kind of catch up on, on what's going on. And it was a bummer every, every night. And so, you know, with solvable taking this approach, especially coming out of this pandemic of, you know, instilling a little hope has working on it now, you know, you've only, you've released four episodes now, but, um, you know, obviously you've been working on the show for a long time has just been in that headspace. Have you seen any kind of change in just your day-to-day outlook?
1: So I'm, like I said, I'm I'm already a pretty optimistic person. Um, and I think sometimes people think that because I'm stating the problem or I'm stating things that are, you know, not so great to hear that they think that I think some people can look at a person who says things like, hey, that's a problem and think that that person's a negative person. So because I walked into this optimistic Working with these folks that are actually working on the innovative solution have only made me even more optimistic, if anything, because it's made me look at things and say, I didn't know that was a problem but I'm glad to know that Bill McKibben is way ahead on, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, climate change, Way to, good to know that he's way ahead on these things. So I think working with the show has only kind of like made me lean further into optimism uh, than I was before. And I think the problem that people think is they think that optimism and positivity are the same thing. Yeah. And optimism is really, uh, it's funny because uh, people are people say, oh, you're such a pessimist. And they are be like, no, I'm a realist. And when people say that, I'm like, first of all, realism is not the opposite of uh, of pessimism or optimism i'm like and i think optimism is really realism cuz it's saying like this is an issue but I think we'll be okay. We'll fix it. We'll find the answer and all of that. And I think what Solvable has done for me, instead of giving me some rosy outlook to the future with no plan to get there, Solvable puts the steps to the plan in my clear view, which only makes me more optimistic.
0: Well, you know, one of the things I, I, that I've really enjoyed about the show is, you know, obviously it's a Pushkin show. And a lot of people who are familiar with Pushkin uh, know obviously Malcolm Gladwell has had, you know, I, I believe co-founded Pushkin. Um, it's mm-hmm. the home yes. of, of revision history and a bunch of good, great yep. shows. And he was actually one of the original hosts of Solvable. So, yes. you know, and I, I've had in the past the opportunity, I, I I used to work in the magazine business and I did a profile on Malcolm Gladwell one time mm-hmm. and really enjoyed my, my time talking to him and just, you know, kind of getting to know what an interesting guy he is. And you're kind of taking the reins from, you know, of this show that, like I said, especially in the early days, he was, he was, you know, in the, in a, in one of the host chairs. And so, his approach is always Mm -hmm. to kind of look at problems kind of sideways, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, he can, you know, and I feel like that's sort of a a through line. I've seen a lot of the Pushkin stuff with Michael Mm -hmm. Lewis. It's not just looking at it head on, but what are some of the adjacent issues that we can look at that provide us an entryway that, one, maybe will shift people's perspective, but two, will also kind of alter how we look at solutions. You know, kind of being, um, you know, know, jumping into something that was – you know, previously, you know, worked with Malcolm Gladwell. How did that kind of frame your approach to the show? Well,
1: I am a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, One of the things that I love to tell people is that I'm like, I'm replacing Malcolm Gladwell as host of Soulful. Yeah. Even though that's only partially true. Yeah. Uh, And the other thing I like to say is that Malcolm Gladwell is my coworker.
0: Yeah. Uh, I like saying that to people. Like like you guys are in the same cubicle. Like Yeah, yeah, like we're piling around, (laughs) like going to lunch together.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, but I think that, I really am a big fan of his work, especially uh, David and Goliath. There's yeah. things I, I quote from that book all the time. And uh, he was one of the voices that I used to listen to when I was long before I was in audio production. I used to work on a, a support desk well back in the day, uh, I would say 2011, 2012. And back then, I would listen to some of the things he would talk about on, like, maybe This American Life mm-hmm. or Radio Lab or some of the other shows that he's been on. And I've really always appreciated his perspective because every time he broke down a problem, he broke it down in such a logical way in which... We weren't talking good bad we were just talking more obstacle solution which which feels good which is saying hey we need to get from point a to point b and here's how we're gonna like this is the thing that's stopping us and it felt very factual and you're right in a lot of ways that's looking at it from the side instead of kind of like emotionally looking at something with despair and saying that we can't get past this which kind of like robs you of your ability to really make sound decisions when you're looking at things so emotionally Uh, so i think he comes that he approaches things with such a logical way which again for me only just lends more to my optimism because it's saying like oh i'm not just thinking about like you know uh Again, I'll go back to climate change. I'm not thinking about the polar ice caps melting and all of us drowning in California, breaking off and going into the sea. I'm thinking about how can we build a more sustainable planet that's more inhabitable for all of us? Like that's that's a good thing. You know, more food for everybody, more room for us to live, more greenery, better air quality, all of these things that are positives to us. And it, it allows me to look at things in a logical way. So I think that's what I think about coming in to fill his seat is thinking like, we're looking at things in a logical way and really providing people optimism and hope.
0: You know, and and optimism and hope are are two things that are uh, kind of have been in short supply for mm-hmm. for months yeah. now, you know? and, I was kind of thinking about the the kind of the, the heart of this list which is innovation that gives you hope for the future and I want to jump into your mm-hmm. list soon but I also want to you know I was thinking about well what would I call an innovation that gives me hope for the future and this one mm-hmm. is probably going to be a little corny because it's what I do professionally I've done for a while is mm-hmm. you know looking at even something like podcasting as an mm-hmm. anecdote to something which I think is a big problem of like partisanship where people are just mm-hmm. very entrenched in a certain ideology and that ide- ideology can be informed by a lot of different things. But most of the time, Mm -hmm. it's informed with how someone was raised or who they hang out with. Um, But podcasting has a way of exposing people to interesting ideas in a non-confrontational way. It's also probably the only medium in media where you have someone like you you have these shows that it can be it can be a thinker and intellectual but it could be like a comedian mm-hmm. or you know you have someone you have President Obama going to Mark Marin's garage you know you're the president at yeah. the United States or you have someone like you know a Joe Rogan can have like a you know kind of a fringy figure like an Alex Jones but then also have yeah. a Dr. Cornel West you know yeah. within the course of a couple of weeks and it's this medium that is a very not non-threatening way to get people to come to the table and share ideas, you know, as someone who's an optimist and someone Mm -hmm. who does have hope, what role do you see kind of podcasting in particular, because this is your profession, you know, what role do you see that in being able to kind of cut through some of those partisan divides, which really kind of entrench people sometimes in pessimism?
1: Mm -hmm. I think that, Podcasting is because it's it's audio, because you can get immersed in it. Um, and actually let me take a step back. Yeah. So when I first started listening to anything audio, I was a child. I was listening to things like Adventures in Odyssey, which is from Focus on the Family. Oh, I remember. (laughs) uh, Okay, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So and I used to love getting immersed in a story. Yeah. And if you can immerse me into a story. And then tell me facts later or tell me, give me some sort of relatable, uh, relatable position afterwards, I'm more likely to sit down and listen to what you have to say. And I think that audio production really allows us to immerse listeners into stories, which I mm. think is important for getting people to then listen to whatever it is that you're going to say next. And I think that's where we are well positioned right now as audio producers is like, we're going to make people relatable so that you can hear whatever the next thing that they have to say too often partisanship comes because we are addicted to sound bites. Mm. We're addicted to saying like one thing or one like phrase. And we're so addicted to that thing being like our mantra. That's our, that's our call to action, whatever this one phrase was. And I think, because we get buried in that and we use that phrase devoid of any story it's easy to get people riled up around that one phrase but i think what we're doing in audio production is allowing people to tell a full story and then after that then do an ask then do a call to action then say this is why i think the way i think because even at the very least even if i don't agree with you i could at least say well i now will know why alex jones Feels the way Alex Jones feels, yeah. even if I don't agree with him. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned coming from like a church background, and and as do I, and just thinking about like, well, e- even if you were to take kind of the religion and philosophy out of Christianity, and you're like, mm-hmm. well, why was this such an effective, you know, uh, means of communicating ideas for for you know two thousand years now? And you look at even like the method of Christ; it was storytelling. Even when he had a big idea, it was distilled yeah. into a parable, not a set yep. of principles. And and there's a, yep. something about storytelling. I had Jesse Thorne on recently, who's another mm-hmm. uh, uh, a podcaster. I've really enjoyed his yeah. work over the years. And we're talking about podcasts as sort of these like little empathy uh, uh, capsules that, you know, you can yeah. listen to. And even like you said, even if you don't agree, at least yep. you have some means of relating to the person yes. in, in an idea.
1: So and the other part is like because you can't see them, you have to imagine the person yeah. that's connected to these ideas in your head. Yeah. So in a lot of times, like your listeners can't see who I am. They can Google me and find out, but when whatever they Google and see is probably not going to be the image that they created of me in their head. And typically, that image, depending on what ideas I've spouted out and what things I've said to you, is going to be sometimes, in most cases, a more empathetic image of me. Oh, I think Ronald is tall and skinny and a wonderful person. It smells of, of, of honey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like all of these things that you that you uh, that you begin to uh, to build in your head because you're listening. This person's ideas and your brain is automatically creating a picture of them. Now, granted, that also works at the opposite, yeah. where if I'm listening to someone's voice and they're saying things I hate, I'm like, ah, this person is short and stupid and, and a big idiot. I hate them. You know, like it, that's the picture of them that you're creating. But I think uh because of because we can't see them, it allows us to imagine uh a, a picture of them in our minds. And I think if the more that we work on empathy and the more that uh we make our audio production experiences extremely immersive, the more we give our listeners an opportunity to create create something that's more empathetic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ronald, I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear these innovations because you, like I said, you spend a lot of time now thinking not just about problems because mm-hmm. look, I mean, I feel like we've all been thinking about problems. <laughs> You know? yeah. We've been conditioned to think about problems, you know? Yeah. Um yeah. but you've been thinking about solutions. So I'm really excited. Yep. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're gonna talk about three innovations that give you hope for the future. What did you identify and, and you don't have to rank them? I feel like a lot of things we like to rank, but if you're ranking innovations to problems, it's like, ah, you know, they're probably all hopefully on, on a on a somewhat uh uh level playing flow. So what do you, what do you have for the first one on your list?
1: Okay, so I did rank them.
0: Oh, nice! Now nice. this is number three. Oh, perfect, perfect. I always okay. I'm glad you said that because I always feel bad when people are like, you know, I didn't really rank them. I felt weird. I'm like, just rank them anyway. But yeah, yeah. I'm glad you came <laughs> in ready, ready with a yeah, rank. Right. Now I'm ready. I did the homework. Awesome. So awesome.
1: this is number three. Number three, I'd say the innovation is uh, climate change based uh, technology. Okay. Which in this case, I would. I'm thinking solar technology and specifically electric cars. Uh, I think we are headed towards a future that we are really going to have to opt in more and more every day when it comes to preventing climate change from drastically affecting uh, our daily lives. And I think when I see these innovations in technology like solar blinds, solar panels, uh, solar charging stations, mm. all of that, and electric cars like hybrids or fully electric, whatever, I look at that and I'm like, we really are thinking to the future when it comes to renewable resources yeah. and what that looks like as we're using them every single day so every time i see like a hybrid or a tesla on the road i'm like look at us we are jetsoning our way to the future i don't know if your listeners know about the jetsons i might be revealing <laughs> my age which once upon a time was not a thing that made you old but yeah. now it is yeah. so but like look at us getting to the future with yeah. our electric cars and our solar panels so that for me gives me a lot of hope for the future
0: you know climate change is one that i feel like there's Every time you kind of read about it and read about kind of how far along we are when it comes to, you know, the damage that has already been done to the environment, it's easy to kind of get kind of nihilistic about it and say Mm -hmm. like, you know what, man, it's like, uh, it's probably too late. Like they've been telling us for a lot. I watched Inconvenient Truth like 15 years ago and they're telling me it's probably too late then. It's probably too late now. But yep. what about innovations like, you know, let's take electric cars, for example. Like, mm-hmm. if we're, we're, I think now anyone who's been behind the wheel of a Tesla or, or has mm-hmm. like a buddy that has one or something, you're like, okay, that's going to work. It's going <laughs> to, they're going to replace. It's now just yeah. a matter of time. It's not if it's yeah, when. It really is. But, it absolutely is. But are you optimistic that, you know, along with technologies like what was going on with solar, what's going on with electric cars, that not only can we prevent further damage to the environment, you know, I don't know what's irreversible, what's not, but do you think, mm-hmm. you know, that our lifestyles with these tech innovations will still be, you know, sustainable in the future?
1: You know, I think that we are going to adapt. And I feel like when I look at things like electric cars and solar solar technology, I think it's proof that we can adapt and we have the, the means by which to adapt. And I think that our lives are going to change no matter what in the future. I think that it's not going to be exactly what it looks like now. And I think a lot of things that we think we're rapidly moving towards may not be exactly what we're moving in the direction of. For example, Laserdisc, Blu-ray uh, DVDs, <laughs> HD DVDs, and DVDs generally. We all thought that was the future. We were like, that's it there is nothing beyond this until i remember netflix was like hey now they have the movie you could just you know watch it on your computer and everyone's like what do you mean watch it and they're like you just watch it you turn it on and you watch it and it's like what does that what do you mean (laughs) and now the concept and i have a blu-ray collection the concept of owning them owning these blu-rays is just it seems completely foreign even though they're movies that every now and then i'm like i can't find this on amazon prime or any of the other streaming services so i'm just gonna pop it in and play it I'm saying all that to say when we think about the things that are going to change in our future, I think we automatically think that those changes are all going to be bad. But the truth is whatever change that comes next is probably going to be very intuitive and probably something that we were hurtling towards, whether we knew it or not. Yeah, it was the right change to make, and it was the right direction to go. and I feel like I feel optimistic when I see technology make a shift and everybody first look at it and be like, Wait what? yeah, and then slowly come on board do you remember when we uh back when we were in the early 2000s i don't know how old you are but in the early
0: 2000s i was around i was around okay Okay,
1: (laughs) when we had snake on our phones and maybe some people had a blackberry messenger or we had like the uh the flip phones and all that and i remember the first time we were all using digital cameras and the first time someone says oh yeah you can i have my phone i'll just take a picture of my phone and i remember like What are you talking about? The quality's not going to be good. It's going to be trash. Like, what are you talking about? You don't take a picture with your phone. You use a digital camera. And now I remember the year. I don't remember exactly what year, but I remember the moment when there was an article on Yahoo News. (laughs) It said... Uh, phones have caught up to digital cameras in terms of pixel uh, pixels, and now they're beyond them. It's like yeah. owning a digital camera Why is Why would you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have it in your phone. Just take the picture. You have it right there. And that's the picture that we're posting on Instagram, putting on our, on our Facebook, all of that. And it was the necessary adjustment and technology that we didn't even know we wanted or needed, but here it is, like right there for us to grab. So I think even though climate change is like inherently a problem that is big and scary, some of these technological problems pivots that we're making, they just give me a lot of hope to say, I think we have the know-how to get to whatever the next iteration of life for us on this planet is.
0: It, one thing I love about what your show is doing, and there's other shows too. Like I'm a longtime fan of Radio Radiolab, which, which I know you mentioned yes. earlier. I, I've gotten to talk to uh, Jad and Robert, you know, a couple times okay. over the years. For for look at uh, you name dropping. Uh, well, Jad Abram Rob and Robert Crowley. Shall say, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, my friend Jad and Robbie. No, no, you know, I we would hang not out. say I would be I would be honored if they were my friends, but like no, no I, I, I interviewed <laughs> them like twice back in the, but. Yeah. About I, I, you know, I was terrible at science as, mm-hmm. uh, as a student, you know, I just wasn't wired that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like math and science, I was just awful at, like, yeah. I, it just was not my forte, but you look at what they've done, what shows like science versus, or what mm-hmm. a lot of the Pushkin shows are doing, whether, even if it's yeah. not, you know, maybe even if it's more towards like social sciences and, and looking at yeah. what data can tell us, you know, it, I feel like hearing some of these stories and hearing things about um, technological innovations that can help problems like uh, climate change, I feel like it disarms some of the baggage, whether it's political baggage or sort of social baggage that people bring mm-hmm. to those issues. Is, yes. that, is that your experience too, looking at it from this perspective of a storyteller, not necessarily mm-hmm. someone who's overly concerned just about policy?
1: Yeah, agreed. I think... Uh it brings to the table, like it like, especially listening to any of those shows, but like I think it brings to the table the fact that there is uh the logic. It was kind of what I was talking about with with uh, Malcolm Gladwell. It's the logic that we're yeah. looking at. We're just looking at the we're breaking it down and just looking at the actual functions themselves and then solving those. Yeah. You know what I mean? Saying, like, how can we make this run better? How can we make this better for everyone? We add partisan partisanship and politics to everything, because I don't think we know how to be equitable naturally. Mm. Like, and and it's funny, because, like, if me and you were in a room, and you like, I don't know if you tripped or fell, or if you spilled water on yourself, my natural instinct would be like, Oh, let me get some paper towels. Let me help you. Let me like, Oh, you tripped or fell. Let me help you up. That'd be my natural instinct. But the minute you start putting politics on top on on top of anything, it immediately dehumanizes us in a way that is like it, it, that is it's completely unnatural. It's not the ways in which that we would actually go. It's not the the reaction or the knee jerk response that we would actually have if somebody had an issue. And I think by stripping things down to their like most core parts, it's much easier for us to actually address the problem and do that. And I think, like you said, all of the shows that you're talking about, like with Radiolab, the social sciences pointing us in the direction of Those things and saying this was the uh, these are the ingredients that made whatever issue that you're talking about it it changes our brains it rewires our thinking and says huh this seems like something that anybody can address right left tall short black white we all need to look at this because this might be a problem for all of us man woman everybody yeah
0: it's cool I mean storytelling is something that is inherently human you know Mm -hmm. and like that humanity it does have a way of slicing through politics, slicing through mm-hmm. kind of preconceived biases and things like that. Yeah. So I'm very excited. I Well, you've given me hope for climate change because it's something I I live like right at the coast and I'm like, man, that's, uh, it stresses me out. You know, I got two young yeah. kids now and- Buy a canoe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but hey, ma- maybe I'll just, it, It's and you've also given me more reason like, hey, I tell my wife like, hey babe, I really think, I was talking to a guy today, I really think we should go ahead and pull the trigger on a Tesla Do it. Uh, uh, reservation. Do it. Or <laughs> <laughs> All right, reservation. <laughs> All right, Ronald. We got uh solar and, and electric cars that are gonna uh yep. help us in our battle against climate change. What do you got for number two on your list?
1: Okay, so number two is more of a uh is more of a social innovation okay. that I've noticed, but I've seen a lot of uh there's a lot of a movement called body positivity yeah. on uh Instagram. And I think this is an this is an innovation because it's actually uh Forcing a conversation about why we look at people the way they mm. way we look at them based on their size, and I think what they're uh, what a lot of these plus size influencers are trying to do is trying to show like beauty at every size, and they're trying to talk to doctors and nutritionists about health at every size, yeah. and saying like the idea of fat versus not fat, like all of they all of these things that we've kind of been conditioned to believe for our entire lives, don't just boil down to fat being bad, skinny being good, and it calls into questions the ways in which we kind of define beauty in our minds, and I feel like there's been a lot. And I'm saying all to say there's a lot of plus size influencers who are like daring you to call them unattractive, mm. daring you, daring the fashion industry to not have clothes in their size, daring all of you to like really just look past or sound like challenging all of us to kind of look past what we've all known to be conventional beauty and say and say, hey. This other thing is also beautiful, even though it's not the standard. Yeah, get that gives me hopes for the future because it means that it means like we're gonna grow up in again in a much more equitable world. We're gonna grow up in a place where maybe we're uh, we're thinking about fashion and clothes and even design of like (laughs) like plane seats. As a guy who's like a a plus size guy myself, like and I get like and like I'm not like necessarily on the pluses plus. (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to say this, trying to say this uh, correctly. Diplomatically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Diplomatically. Yeah. But I'm not on like necessarily the 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 plus size of the plus size scale, if yeah. you will. Uh, so still being able to fit into a plane seat, put on a, a, a seatbelt. But then maybe we should be asking the question, why are we building these seats so small? Why aren't these more, why aren't we making a more equitable way for people to travel of all sizes and feel good about themselves? But I feel like this body positivity movement that's happening mostly on social media in a lot of ways is like pushing people ahead and really making them think more inclusively
0: what do you think that i I think social media in a way has democratized a lot of what those standards are do you Mm -hmm. think it's social media that's been the impetus because for this sort of cultural change because i do think it's been a significant one
1: yeah i think it's social media because i i don't think i think social media it democratizes it in this very specific way When you are a social media plus size influencer and you're on Instagram and you have hundreds of thousands of followers and you are saying things like, today I went to Target and or Macy's and I could not find a shirt that fit me. Mm. And you have hundreds of thousands of followers that are following you like as you like you're looking beautiful in your clothes, like you're, you know, you're you're talking about like yourself, you're talking about accepting yourself as a whole person. But did you're also talking to these brands like Target and Macy's? and you're saying to them, hey, none of your clothes fit me, and you have hundreds of thousands of followers, brands have to listen to you. They have to say, oh, no, like, are we talking, is this something that we missed? Mm. And it's because we're not including voices like this in the room. I think the easiest way to look at this is looking at, like, uh, marginalized communities, Uh, black folks, the LGBT community, women, like, people who are often not in a room, You know what I mean? To be able to make these types of decisions. I think people who are plus size are now basically creating a, a way for them to be in the room. And what they did was create their own room, but it has more people and all of those people have buying power. And so brands really have to like stand up and say, okay, maybe we do need to be a little more inclusive. Maybe we do need to go in bigger sizes, offer this for people. The democratization of social media. I love that you use that, that phrase because this is one of the ways in which I think it is a cause for good. Mm. Now there are many ways in which it has been a cause for evil. Yeah. (laughs) We can go to like talk about Twitter mobs and all that and, and how those sometimes go further than they should in some cases. But I definitely think that this is one place where we're able to really all come together and say, Hey, we all think that this thing should be a thing. Uh, what do you think brand in which I'm about to go spend money? Yeah. Like maybe this should be a thing for you as well.
0: And, and the other interesting aspect to it of that point too, is, you know, you and I both seem like pretty optimistic guys, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. from our conversation, you know, our brief kind of conversation here, it's like, Oh, cool. You know, like we, we yeah. kind of like to see the good. And like, when I think of that idea of like the moral arc of history, hopefully mm-hmm. bending towards justice and, yeah and, and, we and hope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I ho- yeah. Hopefully people listen, you know, because it's really on us at the end of the day to, to really kind of is. grab yeah. that and, and pull it down. But what I've seen with it, some of these like body positive pod influencers, some people who are using their you know maybe Twitter presences to challenge people's, you know, thinkings, whether it's about race or social issues or, or other, you know, really important things is it's, 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 you know, when, when social media started, it was kind of wild West. Then you saw, particularly with like the, the body positivity thing, it was a lot of people kind of like Photoshopping pictures or, Mm -hmm. you know, feeling pressure to Mm -hmm. have an Instagram photo that meets a certain cultural standards. Now, obviously that certainly exists still, but Mm -hmm. you see the conversation, you see the arc of that conversation bending towards that equitability with people who are like body positive. Are you hopeful about social media in general? Because there's a lot of toxicity out there, but this is just one example of it can be a force for good. Do you think it will be pulled in a way that will ultimately challenge people for the better?
1: I think that social media is like everything else. Like, uh, whether it was a newspaper, whether it was, you know, email chains, yeah. whether it was a, a letter, w- there were many advances in technology in which the use of which can be used horribly. Like, think about tabloids yeah. back in the day, you know, and I think I barely see tabloids anymore, but think about tabloids back in the day and the the ways in which that the newspaper, the written word was used in order to, you know, just like be sensational, be salacious, get people to spend their money. Social media is used in those same ways. There's a lot of uh, horrible and advertising and very yucky things that happen on social media. But I feel like there's also the capacity for good (laughs) in social media. And I think the capacity for good in social media, for me, I'm hopeful that that is going to outweigh our tendency for it to be bad. And I think there's studies that show that people are more depressed when they're scrolling all the time. Mm -hmm. People are more uh, like they feel more discontent with their lives when they're scrolling all the time. And I think all of those things are absolutely true, but I do say a lot of good that comes out of the ways in which we connect on social media. And I'm hopeful that in the future, that all of that good is kind of the, the, um, the real story that is told you know, yeah. in the future. It's not just us being more depressed and being discontent with our lives but I do think that those are problems that can also be solved and maybe not with social media but maybe the fact that we are overusing it. Yeah. Maybe the fact mm. that we are like using it too much, too regularly, too daily, using it to post everything and talk about only things on social media without telling the rest of the story which is that um, I'm sad. This is my life. I'm being a little more transparent. I'm telling you a little more maybe I need to tell you like a little bit more besides like just the fancy picture of me sitting on a hill holding up a fish yeah. or whatever, all the, all the things that we post on there. So I think, I mean, to, I, and it was a long-winded answer to say, ultimately, I think it will be good but this is one that i I can't be one hundred percent optimistic yeah. on because I know there's a lot of negatives that come with social media, but I've seen some of the like the capacity it has to do a good thing, yeah, and I feel like the body positive movement is one of the things where I'm like that this, yeah, this is what you use this for, yeah. this is great, or the democratization of political movements, I mean like when you think about things like uh I like to think about the Arab Spring, like a lot of that was uh, like happened because of Twitter, yeah, you know what would you think about that, you're like, what, yeah, Twitter. Like I literally was just telling y'all what sandwich I ate yeah. and you guys are gathering to overthrow the, uh, overthrow the unjust government. Like that's that. All right. I just wanted to tell you what sandwich I had.
0: And, and like, I think there's even other kind of social media movements that have kind of, you know, they've kind of veered here and there. And when you look at something like, you know, cancel culture has sort of become this like social media boogeyman. And, and mm-hmm. look, certainly there are, are, are major risk to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of a mob mentality and, Looking mm-hmm. for things to be outraged about, but at the same time, yeah. you look at the Me Too movement. You look at uh, Black up. Lives Matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. You look at you know what social media has done to give voice to previously to communities that you know had a voice but didn't have a platform or or yes. didn't have the ability to uh, organize as efficiently as other communities be, because of a lot of different factors. Now have this kind of technological innovation that allows for mass accountability and mass change, because, you know, and again, there's some overcorrection sometimes. Right. But I feel like looking at it from a positive standpoint is like, Hey, maybe bad people won't get away with bad things anymore because they know a lot of people have cell phones in their hands. And if you, if you treat the, if you mistreat people, there's actually a means for them to hold you accountable. Again, I think there's been some overcorrection, but yeah. you like the body positivity thing, ultimately I think there's an approach to say, you know what? We can use this for good long-term.
1: Yeah. And I think you're right. I think you nailed it. I think, uh, in some cases, because I, and I always like, I don't really like talking about cancel culture that much because yeah. I, I think the name is already a misnomer, yeah. Uh, especially when it comes to like, we're talking about consequences in some cases. Yeah. And I think some people just boil it down to, oh, they didn't like you. So they got rid of you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you, you kind of did a terrible <laughs> yeah. thing. And that's why you got, got rid of. Like, yeah. let's not, let's not overlook that little, little, little yeah. part, but I think you're right. I think in some cases we have seen the mob get outraged about things that like that just and like that maybe weren't that big or maybe weren't as big as we once thought that they were, like i've seen um you know people outrage come up and the media like and i'm when I say that, I mean the traditional media yeah. then take something that's now that's now trending on Twitter, trending on Instagram, and they start reporting a news story on it then become becomes something that brands and people in charge and all that have to respond to, yeah. and a lot of times they respond in some ways that are maybe more uh, overzealous than not. Now I want to say that I think that is the actual exception to the rule yeah. because I think in most cases when you see someone getting <laughs> taken down on Twitter, would you Google what they did? It's like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no bouncing back from this one. Yeah. Uh, and but I think what the story that we tell is kind of like, um, it's kind of like what we did when they talk about frivolous lawsuits, mm-hmm. and a lot of people talk about the hot coffee uh, example, yeah. and a lot of people don't know the facts of that case. There's actually. A, a, um, a documentary on netflix called hot coffee or you could find it look it up yourselves i think it's important for people to watch but the point is we point to one case and we kind of know like the amorphous facts mm-hmm. of whatever that case is and then say oh no these frivolous lawsuits has gone too far and i think in a lot of ways that's what we do when we talk about um uh talk about cancel culture and i'm using air quotes yeah cancel culture so But I really think that the capacity for good in this still outweighs the bad, and I think you nailed it when you talk about like us being able to have our phones and basically say, "Hey, you can act up, but you know this can go viral in seconds." Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's like it's one of those things like you better watch out, you better not shout. Yeah, like the cell phones are coming to town. You know what I mean? Like it's, I think it's something uh, worth thinking about in that way. Yeah, Uh, but it doesn't necessarily. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's going to be flawless in its execution Um, when it comes to social media and especially when it comes to the some some, and I would say exceptions, um, miscarriages of justice when it comes to Twitter mobs and, and the like. Yeah. All
0: right. So we have we have uh, innovations that will help us through the climate change crisis. We have the body positivity movement really changing conversations, not like to your point, not just in social media, but in actual, you know, kind of consumerism and fashion and and, and, and perceptions of what normal body types are. All right. Mm-hmm. No pressure, Ronald. But number yeah. one on your list of innovations that give you hope for the future.
1: Number one. Uh, <laughs> tell your sound designer to give me a booming voice there. Number <laughs> one. Okay. Uh, this is, this is going to sound weird, but I'll talk you through okay. it. Okay. Any technological advance that accommodate working from home and connecting across distances. Okay. As, we're, as
0: we're talking over Zoom right now. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: exactly. Yes. Any technological advance that accommodate working from home and connecting across distances. Okay. The reason why I say this is because in the pandemic, we discovered that Internet is not uh, is not it's a utility. Mm. It's something that everybody needs in order for us to actually make the world smaller and actually function as efficiently as we can. Everyone needs access to reliable, fast Internet everyone does. And I think what we discovered that a lot of the relationships that we were maintaining during the pandemic and a lot of the work that we were doing were able to be maintained and continued because we had access to technological advances. I also think that we all have to admit that even those of us, I am a very much an extrovert, even those of us who love being around people, the idea of not having to commute to work, not necessarily having to do that small talk about coffee or what I'm doing, what I did last weekend or what I'm doing next weekend, yeah, yeah. or having to see slideshows of your trip or any of that other stuff. Like, because we're uh because we're all connected via the internet, our lives have gotten a little bit better, I think. And I think the push for people to go back into an office right now, to me, feels completely disingenuous, knowing that we could accomplish every task that we can because of the technology we have uh, right from our homes. It gives me optimism for the future because I'm really saying, again, the technology is now pivoting us in the direction that I think we should go. Basically, uh, the technological advances allow us to question the things that we have been told for a long time, especially when it comes to being inside an office. And I feel like the pandemic was kind of an accelerator for all of that. It basically like pushed us to a point where it's like, hey, you better have your Internet ready, because if you want to get this work done, uh, we're going to have to you're going to have to send everybody home. They're going to have to work from their uh, from their own spaces. I really think that that is the next way is mm. us really figuring out what the workplace looks like post-vaccine, post-pandemic. Because I think there's a lot of people pushing people back to the office. Yeah. But there's a lot of people like me that are asking the question, but why? Why do I physically need to be there? Yeah. And give me a good reason. Because I'm like, there are some good reasons and that, which to adopt a hybrid model of me being in the office and being at home. But there's certainly no good reason for me to be anywhere 40 hours a week, five days a week
0: at this point. And I also think it has major, you know, these technologies have major implications for communities uh, and regions that were previously just by default, you know, kind of edged out of certain fields because they didn't live in Silicon Valley or, you know, they weren't in New York or or LA, or it doesn't even have to be like tech or entertainment. There's a lot of jobs that required you to be in a physical location, you know, and sort of, And and that's sort of, I guess, an artifact of maybe like the industrial revolution where people are actually coming together and making things and like assembly lines. And obviously, we don't work like that anymore. But I guess to push back on it, where do you feel like the balance is? Because, you know- I worked, you know, throughout the pandemic, even before the pandemic, a lot of my work was from home. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I would travel a lot. And I always, when I was hanging out with people or collaborating in physical spaces, there Mm -hmm. was still something about being in a physical space with people that um, it might not necessarily enhance the uh, ability to collaborate, but there's something, not. I don't even want to say the word irreplaceable because I I don't feel like that's necessarily true. But I feel Mm -hmm. like uh, uh, something that is enjoyable about being in other people's presence, where do you feel like the balance in that will lie?
1: So, and that's why I'm saying, I, I'm like, I feel like any office that's not saying hybrid model to me is doing it wrong. Mm. Cause I don't think that the answer is 100% from home. And I think the the truth is, and I think, we can all say this is that we need to be more intentional in our comings together, in our coming together. So I think if you need collaboration, if we need to be in the office, if we're ramping up a project or whatever, and that means that I need to be physically somewhere for a short period of time, but maybe for longer, for uh, longer hours or whatever that is. I mean, like, I-, I think we can accommodate for that. And we have the space and the resources in order to get people where they need to go for those short periods of time. I think, and I think there are obviously some jobs that physically someone needs to be in place for that job to happen, you know, whether it be like, you know, medicine or delivery or firefighting, policing, things like that. Those are all things where people need to be physically in a place for it to happen. But I definitely think when we're talking about the things that, you know, that you and I do, like that are more creative fields, even the more the IT related fields, there's a lot of that stuff where it's like, yeah, you know, maybe we do need need to have you here to do some collaboration, to do some face to face because it's faster. But eventually when we need to do that heads down work, do you actually really need to be in front of me (laughs) for you to actually do the work that you need to do? And I think that's what this last pandemic has proven. And I think the people that it puts out of a job, I'm using air quotes again, is middle management. The people whose whole job is to watch you do your job, yeah. Which yeah. I'm like, well, we don't need them anymore. Y'all need to go do some work.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, we yeah, hear that. We're, yeah. to, <laughs> yeah.
1: we're clearly like doing our jobs. We're yeah. clearly meeting deadlines and doing all the stuff we're supposed to be doing. So now it begs in the question: Well, what are you doing if you're not actually in the weeds doing some actual work? Yeah. So, and I think that's 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 what I would say to 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 your pushback, which is that like I think there's room for both. And I think that's the question we need to be saying. Like, we have this technology. Why am I forcing you every day to get up, fight traffic, be miserable, just to sit in this office with your shirt tucked in and nice shoes to just sit at a computer when you could be at home doing the same thing? Yeah. You know, with, with without all of those stressors that I just said, yeah. you know?
0: Well, the bigger implication, just like when I when I was growing up, I remember being in like junior high and like the Regal Theater near me had like one of those arcades next, like they call it Funscape, you know? I feel yeah. like they probably popped up in like every town in America, you know? Yeah, you
1: play Time, time Crisis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, exa- <laughs> yeah Tekken yeah. and Time Crisis. But they also yeah. had, the, when they first opened up, they had this area where you could try on like the VR stuff, like virtual mm-hmm. reality. And this was like, when virtual reality legitimately seemed like something from a science fiction movie. And you put on mm-hmm. that big helmet and you put on those big oven mitt, kind of weird gloves, and yeah. you're kind of walking through like Lego world, you know, but you're yeah. like, oh, dudes, it was so cool. And I remember yeah. being that age, being like, dude, this is going to be the future, man. I'm probably going to live in virtual yep. reality when I'm an adult, you know, and yep. watch, you know, those lame, like kind of 90s, 80s action movies where. Yes. And. and You know, it never really came to pass. And then I I got really excited about when Oculus was being developed and, you know, sort of a consumer level VR device, but it never seemed like there was any sort of major social or entertainment innovation that Mm -hmm. made it something that the average consumer would want to embrace. Do you kind of think, you know, everyone has been doing what we're doing right now for about a year, year and a half now, where we're looking at Zoom, there's this, and, side note i feel bad for people that work at zoom because everyone's always hating on zoom it's like they didn't yeah. do anything they just they, they just happen to they, be ubiquitous like yeah. they, like you let's just did your job. Yeah, let, let's not hate on those poor zoom engineers who they probably yeah. had the worst year of all of us like hey, not they did only the best they can they, they had the same <laughs> pandemic we had to deal with and they got yep. you know every person in the world like oh, i hate zoom even though they use it anyway yeah. anyway that's a digression but do you think there will do you think you know kind of these mobile or being able to work mobile do you think it'll enhance innovations like, you know, virtual reality, for example, where, Mm -hmm. you know, that you see the NBA touting, like, dude, you can put on a helmet and sit courtside at the Nets game with your buddy and kind of get this experience. Do you think our uh, desire to make working from home uh, more normalized and also kind of more enhanced, do you think we'll see innovations like, for example, VR become more commonplace?
1: Uh, I think so. I mean, I think we're already seeing that with things like uh, Oculus Go, mm-hmm. uh, like where they're just building the uh, the more, like you said, the more consumer level uh, uh, virtual reality. I think we're seeing more of that. We haven't seen a wide adoption of it yet because I don't think we've, they haven't, it's not there yet. Yeah. Because I've, I've sat in one of those basketball games with my Oculus Go and been <laughs> like, this is cool, but. Also, kind of glitchy. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm not, like, I don't know if this is where I'd want to sit if I were at the basketball game. I'd rather be sitting at the side. It has to be sitting at the front. Where are you putting the camera? So, the technology is not all the way there yet. Yeah. But I think, I don't think we're far from people doing some things. And I think, again, I think what we're going to see first is a hybrid model. I don't think it'll ever be 100% because there's something to be said. Like, the fact that we're having this exchange now, like, and this is the first time we've met. But now if I ever see you in person, like this exchange is what will enhance when I see you in person. You know, I went to a wedding last weekend and I remember there were people I had not seen in that wedding for two years. Mm. But over the course of those two years, we had been zooming, we have been interacting on uh, Facebook, all of that. So that when I saw them, it did not feel like that much time had passed. So yeah. I looked at them, I was like, hey, good to see you. How's everything going? And like when you touch them, when you like, when you smell a person, not in a creepy way, yeah. but like when you like touch and smell and all the other senses come into uh, come into fruition, at that moment you're like, oh wow, this is like it feels a lot more real. But this interaction is just as real as those. Yeah. And I think this interaction enhances the others. But if this was it, if it was just virtual interactions, I think I'd be a little less optimistic about the future. Yeah. But I think the idea of virtual interactions being something as an enhancement to our in-person and more like an enhancement or an addend- addendum, addendum, yeah, there you go. <laughs> being an yeah. addendum to our physical interactions, I think that's what gives me hope for the future yeah. because now we're we're saying like, hey, we have multiple ways for whatever this is to happen. I'll give you another example. Okay. Church. Yeah church meetings, like after church, they'd be like, after church we're gonna have a meeting. You know what the last thing you want to do after you just sat through a three hour service <laughs> yeah. is go to a meeting. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be quick. We're gonna talk. It'll be a meeting. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I've just spent these three hours with y'all. I don't want to. I may be sweaty. We have a charismatic church, yeah. so we may be sweating and yelling and running. And the last thing I want to do is sit with y'all and talk about admin stuff. Yeah. And so the idea of there there being this extra thing where it's like on Tuesday at seven o'clock we're gonna have a Zoom meeting for this thing that I no longer have to sit at the church for. Uh, with y'all I'm like that's to me, there's some things where I'm like, we should only be doing those types of move meetings on Zoom. Yeah. That way, when we gather, we're gathering with intention to do something that we all actually want to do. You know what I mean? And I think that's how we should be looking at these virtual interactions, and I think that's how, uh, when the technology catches up, I think that's how we'll use the VR and all that to kind of enhance the stuff that we would have done in person, but maybe distance or time became a factor, and this cut down on both. Yeah,
0: and it also kind of allows people, you know, the church example is great because, you know, so many pastors, like their whole thing is, well, how do I get people into the pews? Like, how can I get, especially people who aren't, you know, maybe churchgoers who want to give this a try, but look, going to church, especially kind of in the modern context, modern kind of American context, that's a broad Mm -hmm. brush. But in a lot of cases that can be intimidating for someone who isn't, you know, doesn't know kind of the social norms or sort of the decorum or, you know, all the kind of stuff that is just part of going to any church, right? Right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like letting them... Hey, now that we've come out of a pandemic where people are used to, it's not weird to say, well, Hey, why don't you try my church out online? And if you like it you can come yeah, in person, I, exactly. I feel like that there is sort of a silver lining to all of this where it's allowing people, um, to, to, to try, try things and, and be a part of different communities without sort of the obligations of being at a physical place around, you know, people that for some people who may be more introverted might be uncomfortable at first. So I think there is silver lining there.
1: And I think one obvious thing that we missed is like, you know, being in the pandemic and dating, like it really taught me this one thing, which is that now I can meet someone online and be on a date with them within like hours or a day. Because I could just be like, hey, you try to FaceTime real quick and see if we even like each other yeah. before we actually go and spend money on anything else. <laughs> we can just do this right now in our homes and say, hey, is there any chemistry? Because yeah. my thing is, I think people think that because we're doing it on Zoom, we can't tell chemistry. I'm like, no, you can tell chemistry on Zoom. Yeah. You can tell if you like a person or if you're going to have a rapport on Zoom. Yeah. And then in person, like I said, when you actually touch, see, and smell the person, like it like changes everything. Again, smell not creepy.
0: <laughs> but, but At like, some point in dating, things, it comes up. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. yeah. So the
1: point is, like, when you actually meet them and see them, it actually uh, it, it 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 actually enhances the experience that you had before. So I think, well, I think the way that we should be looking at it is, and as something that is a potential enhancer to our other interactions, and again, it helps us where uh, time and distance may be a factor. It cuts down on those two things significantly. For instance, again, I know we keep talking about church. My church is thirty minutes away. Yeah, and I also have to dress up to go. But the minute they say there's a virtual service, I'm like, oh snap, okay, I could wear whatever I want. And I don't have to drive anywhere. So I just cut an hour of travel out of my day. And I also maybe cut some stuff out of my budget because I don't have to put on a suit uh, to get there. But then everybody else will tell you, well, there's nothing like being in there. But at that point, I would then question the motives of the person that's, uh, yeah. I'm going off on a tangent, no, no, the that, question the yeah. motives of the person that's saying that I have to be in a place in order to actually uh, execute that religion. Yeah. Which I'm like, that, I don't know. That seems like that religion might, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. you no, no, I'll stop there. Yeah, yeah. I, don't to, I don't want you to lose a whole swath of listeners. No, no, that's there. okay. I, I dip so, yeah. into
0: those waters uh, frequently <laughs> enough that they're, they're used okay. to, you know. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, I saw you had Ben Kirby on a couple episodes oh, yeah, ago. Yeah. So I'm like, I know you guys definitely probably oh, waited in those waters. Yeah, you, you
0: can't not. We, we were talking to Seekers yeah. and Preachers. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, it's so interesting that the, the, the conversation has come back around to church because I do feel like, and and I hope this doesn't come across the listeners who are of kind of different uh, religious persuasions or maybe not religious at all. But I do feel like religion, and particularly kind of in the modern era, maybe just by virtue of of the the, the size of the followers, but I feel like Christianity has been the impetus for some important you know technological and social innovations i mean going back to like gutenberg and you mm-hmm. know it was really the desire to bring at that point th- how can we mass produce the bible and get it into hands but that really revolutionized the way people consume information not just religious you know text but but everything and i and I, my hope is you know i've seen a lot of Sort of an antagonistic approach by a lot of contemporary kind of Christian leaders about some of these things that we're talking about today. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Whether not just like on, on the climate change front or, you know, social media trends or, you know, Zoom restriction, you know, uh, 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 social distancing restrictions, things like that. I, you know, without getting, you know, in the weeds with all of that, I also think there's an opportunity to say, okay, but how can, Uh, what the church is trying to do, which is bring people together and communicate a certain message. How can we use the tools that we have to actually be at the forefront instead of being regressive in how we were, you know? Like, I I feel like there are enterprising, smart Compassionate Christians, and not just Christians, people of 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 all faiths, but someone who has a motive that is strong enough will find a way to use the tools they have in front of them to do good and not worry about the tools they don't have. I kind of hope that's the shift, not just with Christian leaders, but with a lot of innovators, because that's where opportunity really lies. I feel like.
1: So I feel like my pastor once said this. He says he, he said to me, "He's like, I have a vision." to uh to reach 46 million people he's like i don't know why that's the number but i want to reach 46 million people and then he proceeded to say he said he said uh yeah if we had that many people we'd have to get like several football stadiums in order to put them in and i remember my first thought was you don't sit 46 million and people in a football stadium you sit them down on computers. They're in their own homes. Like that's how you reach that many. If you look at television, television, like the numbers that you see like on Seinfeld, all those on like season finales, those were millions of people all sitting at their homes enjoying whatever that was. And I feel like the embracing of the technology is what pushes us to the uh, visions and the places that we think we're going to go, but we can only look at the standard analog things in front of us and say, how can I do whatever this is uh, with the tools that I have? For instance, even if you think about something like the gutenberg bible when you started talking about that i started thinking about the steps that it took to actually put like a page mm-hmm. together just with the like the pre the type yeah you know just to put all the letters on the same page it must have been like a nightmare to actually try to accomplish but now here we are in the future with printers yeah just printing out everything two-sided whatever yeah. just putting out bibles every time every all that we want and i feel like sometimes our vision is uh, impacted. Oh, see now we get theological. No, bands. that's fine. Let's <laughs> but, do it. We're here. We're already I'm, here. Let's Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's go. Do yeah. It. Let's do it. So, but I feel like our vision is sometimes impacted by the limitations of the equipment that we see around mm-hmm. us, and we're not optimistic enough to think about the fact that as we keep progressing towards the future, our tools are going to change, mm. and our tools will fit the mission that we're meant to fulfill. See now I'm
0: preaching. Amen.
1: <laughs> <So> bring it. <laughs> I almost felt like I was about to pick up my Bible and "The Lord said."
0: <laughs> well, I, look, I mean, yeah, okay, I'll say one more preachy thing, and I'll, I'll, for for this is the last one for me. Listen, but like, okay. someone said like. I can't remember I'm gonna butcher it and I'm gonna I'm gonna to totally botch the the source, but I remember listening yeah. to some past it was probably at some conference or something where they were talking, yeah. you know, and but they said if you had to distill um like what you would say Jesus is, somebody proposed, well, I would maybe use the word problem solver because you know ultimately from a Christian you know a typical Orthodox Christian belief is he solved the problem of the man's separation from God through sin he he solved Uh-oh. the ultimate problem and but when you're looking at, you know, even solvable in these problems. It's like the model that we have. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when I did the the piece I did on Malcolm Gladwell a while ago was on the idea of casuistry, this Jesuit concept of, you know, a pragmatic approach to problems that's nuanced, but it's very solution oriented. That is Mm -hmm. a very, you know, kind of gospel centric idea Mm -hmm. is let's not, let's not, there there are too many problems to worry about, but we have Mm -hmm. a handful of solutions that we can apply if we think creatively and compassion passionately and you know Ronald that's why I, I really appreciate all the ones on your on your list they really do give me hope for the future man
1: yeah, great well I really appreciate you having me and Maybe we should start a church. <laughs> hey, exactly. Let's,
0: let's, the problem-solving church. The, the church is solvable, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Solving the big problems. You know, I,
1: I was going to say, the only other word I would describe Jesus in this case is yeah. as a disruptor. Yeah. People oh, love for saying sure. disruptor. Yeah. yeah, if he was certainly a disruptor, if not only a problem solver, he definitely disrupted everything, and that's how the solutions were made. Yeah,
0: so. and, and it was, but the, I, I'm glad you said that too, because there's a fearlessness to it too. Yeah. You know, disruption, yeah. it wasn't sort of like one of those incidental, you know, like, where you hear about somebody that invents a device and that device ends up being great for this other thing that disrupts this whole industry. It was like, no, yep. it was this fearlessness of I'm going to go into an institution or I'm going yep. to go into the people who are kind of at the forefront of an ideology and mm-hmm. challenge it, but do it yes. in a way that like isn't for the sake of disruption. It was for the sake of fixing something that, you know, whatever was being disrupted was breaking. And like yes. that kind of fearlessness, I hope you know it takes a lot of courage to to, to try yeah, to to try absolutely. to apply. But hopefully, shows like yours, man, will inspire people to to take that mindset instead of the doom scrolling. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, you know, just fearful dread, man. So, Ronald, I you can only hope, man. Yeah, well, dude, congrats <laughs> on the show. I encourage listeners go Thank check you. out Solvable. You can follow Ron at oh, it's Big Ron on that's pretty much all on social uh, Twitter, Instagram, thing, man. Awesome, yeah, man! Branding, bro. Nice. Oh,
1: it's Big Ron. That's O H I T S B I G R O N. Dude,
0: good for you for picking a cool name. At some, because the, you, you, you know, it's like Ashton Kutcher's, like you know, Asterisk Plus or something. It's like you know these people who picked a social media name before they knew social. So you got a good one yeah. across all the platforms. So good on you, I kept man! It. Yeah, keep the party going. Awesome. <laughs> well, definitely, everyone, go check out uh, Solvable Ronald. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone, that is it for this episode of Listed on the Ironclad Content Network. Hey, if you like the show, I know every podcast asks you to do it, but it really does help. If you like the show, leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.